Yo, have you heard of LinkedIn Learning? If you haven't, LinkedIn Learning is an American massive open online course provider. It provides video courses taught by industry experts in a variety of subjects. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because Living Corporate is in partnership with LinkedIn Learning to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. Listen, if you're trying to be a better ally, you want to understand better diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, or you just want to learn how to be a better leader, you got to check out the courses on LinkedIn Learning. So check it out. You can do it one of two ways. You can click the link in the show notes or you go to LinkedIn Learning and you search Living Corporate again. Link in the show notes or go to LinkedIn Learning and search Living Corporate. I'll see you over there. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the new group chat, Radical Change with Vonda Page. I am your host and welcome. Today, I am super excited and happy to introduce uh, and talk to uh, my new friend and colleague, Cindy Bright. Um, Cindy is an author, a thought leader, um, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. Um, She is heavily involved in politics um, and activism. And she wrote an amazing book um, that is a page turner. Like if you start reading it, literally you can't really put the book down. Like, I don't, I mean, I even was kind of about to take it into the bathroom. Like, oh, you can't take the book. You have to sit the book down. And, but it's so um, easy to read and it's so engaging and you just want to keep on turning. Like, so anyway, the book is really good and it's called The Color of Courage, um, Crushing Racism in uh, Corporate America. And Cindy and I had the conversation about the book um, and it brought up a lot of other topics. And one of the topics that the discussion rose was around colorism, because I was asking Cindy um, if her experience as being a light skinned woman in corporate America, how she thought that impacted her life. And then it kind of got deeper in that. And I realized, like, I'm just finding out that I'm light skinned because I never (laughs) knew that I was because my family was, you know, very um, dysfunctional and a little, um, you know, they had their own stuff going on. But because they were a bunch of light skinned very, very light skinned people, they made me believe that I was dark skinned. And so I just believed it. And I guess it was part of my conditioning such that I never really, you know, thought about it or whatever. And then when I started um, having conversations about it, it brought it up. But before we get into talking about colorism, what I would like to happen um, is I would like for Cindy, um, you know, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you got to writing the book, and then, you know, the goals of it. And then we can just kind of take it from there. So welcome. Well, thanks, Vonda. I'm glad to be back with you here. Um, I appreciate you having me back on and highlighting the book again. I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience about kind of this whole book and this journey. Let let me say a couple of things first before I dive into the book. Um, one is that I do host a weekly radio show that is Heartbeat Radio that is aired here in the Seattle. I'm in the Seattle area. It's aired live on Wednesday nights at seven. And so we get into some stuff on that show. Uh, we do get into a lot of political and a lot of business. I have been aiming to dismantle this ecosystem that is destroying brown and black people. And so corporate America uh, is the primary culprit of the destruction of brown and black people. And so my show now in its fourth year is is slowly but surely peeling all that back. And the book is kind of an offshoot of a lot of the conversations that I've been having. Now, the book um, started in, if people listen to us talk a couple weeks ago, uh, through a very public termination that I had in, in 2014. Uh, I was the head of HR for three financial services businesses. I was um, boxed into an issue of ethics that had to do with my then friend, my then white woman friend, um, who was having an affair with the CFO. And to net out everything that took place to protect the white guy and the white woman, um, she gave them personal information about me um, to give them to build a case against me to tear me down. And that case involved my um, mental health, my finances, my sex life. They stopped at nothing to 
uh, portray me the way um, corporate America sees us. Um, so how they see us is a reflection of who they are. And so they uh, see the black woman as a threat. Um, and so that's kind of where this all started. The impetus, I would say, of me getting the book done, I think I shared with you last time that in end of 2019, early 2020, I was battling breast cancer. And so at that time, when you are faced with your mortality, I was like, I got to get some things done because the world needs to hear these kind of stories. And, and, and so that propelled me even further. And I was homebound anyhow. And so I literally sat down and it took me a solid year from um, getting, getting it on paper to getting it published. And so that was kind of the um, push to get it. I am healthy. I am in remission and I'm grateful for that. God is good and the book is out. <laughs> so thank you for so much for, for sharing, right. And setting that, that context um, for people. Um, and I think that, you know, I have actually heard a couple of um, episodes of, of uh, the radio show and, um, you know, the first time I heard, heard you, um, and your guests, um, and your other, your co-hosts, um, I literally felt like I was in a room talking to women that I have known and were like worked mm-hmm. with for, you know, the last 15, 20 years or something, because the thing that's so, um, that's just super interesting about it is, is hearing how similar, right? Stories are even when the industry is different or the uh, role is different, or the geographic area is different, right? The stories when it comes to Black women and our experiences in corporate America. Vonda, just, you're so right, because I, you know, your audience and I'm in the middle of moving. And so yesterday I was up at the, I'm putting my things in a storage unit and there's a Black woman who run, who's the manager at the um, storage unit. And so she obviously Googled me before I came up because the very first thing out of her mouth was telling me all the crap going on at a storage unit place and the things that she's been dealing with. And the fact, I shouldn't say that it wasn't the storage unit, it was a prior job that she had. But she went on to tell me this whole story, which is the exact same story as me and the exact same story as you and the exact same story that every black woman who dares to speak her truth or be authentic um, it's the same story. And so, you know, we're at a, this is what you and I got into. We're at a reckoning right now because ain't none of us going to tolerate this crap anymore. And, um, corporate America is being held accountable now for dealing with, I mean, look, their workforces are shrinking. They're losing women disproportionately. They've lost so many black, um, high educated, smart, capable black women because they treat us as if um, it, here, here's the issue. The, the threat of mediocre white people, mediocre white men having smart, talented black women who can outdo them 10 times out of 10. That is the fear that they have about us. And so they destroy us or attempt to destroy us. But here's the thing. Someone uh, quoted to me, Brene Brown, how she said, you know, we can either let our stories define us. Or we can take our stories and make them for greater good, which is exactly what you and I are doing, is taking these stories and putting them into the world and letting corporate begin to start to see its own reflection and its own soul, because its soul has been sold for money. And it has has just sold out. You know, I don't know if you saw, I, I posted this morning, like literally yesterday, I went, I just wanted an ice cream cone. I spent $9 for a freaking ice cream cone. And this morning I spent $7 for a cup of coffee. And I was like, something is seriously wrong here that, um, you know, you and I live in the Pacific Northwest. We have entry level homes at a million dollars. We've changed the tip percentage now to 25 and 30% at the bottom. So the consumer is now being hit with all of this. Like what is going to give here? The, the brown and black people, none of, nope. They're just running people out of towns, of places that where we work. Like no one can do this anymore. We're at a racial reckoning. We are at that reckoning and people, you know, and and I get and I feel and I can sense that it's really painful for people. So Mm -hmm. I've been calling today 
just me, myself, I've been calling it white supremacy day here in the Pacific Northwest because, uh, you know, in Washington and here in the Pacific Northwest, right? We got those people who the January 6th supporter people, right? Who are right marching and doing their thing. So normally on white supremacist day, I don't go out, right? So like I didn't go out on August 6th because they was planning a thing, right? I didn't go out on whatever they did something back in May. So whenever it's a white supremacist day, right? They, they, they have their day, they march, whatever. I stay inside. Well, today I had to go out because I really needed to, um, go to Target to a, to a store, right? To return some stuff. So I was like, I have to go to the store. I have got to because it's, I'm working on a home project and I needed to, to do this. So I go to the store and I could just feel and, and every, like all the little, what, the uh, popular terminology people use, microaggressions, um, were happening to me. And literally, this was in so short little... I said, damn, I can't even go on this one errand. And literally, all I was doing was returning four things, but all at one counter together. Like, literally. And I had somebody walk in front of me, like, just whatever, whatever. I had another person... um, uh, uh, I was asking a lady, she was in front when I was trying to park and I was, you know, saying, Hey, are you going in there or whatever? And she was like, like all, you know, crazy, just like little tiny things. Right. And then I go to look at something. I'm in the aisle and you know how, um, you can't in some store aisles, you can't really get two full carts or two if shoulder yeah. to shoulders. Right. And most of the time, what do people do? People move a little, right. To just give the other person room or whatever. No. Right. They're going to come straight ahead. Like, and then I have to move. Right. So I'm like, it's like. And so within like a 20 minute little thing, I'm like had like nine things. And I and I'm watching how people are interacting with each other in the store. Right. And of course, I'm the only black person in the store because I'm in the Pacific Northwest, you know, and and it's just like it just it never lets up. So when you take any of those experiences um, into the corporate space, right, into the workplace, they're magnified in ways that are so much more significant, right? Because to your point, it impacts our, our pockets. Um, it impacts our mental health, our psychological health, our emotional health, and all of those things impact our ability to take care of ourselves, our family, you know, and our community. Let's break down something you just said. Because break I it. think what, what people don't, understand when you talk about the the folks that walk in front of us in stores like that to all black people this happens to is as if we are invisible but mm-hmm. what that looks in corporate america is the woman who's going to speak over the top of you and or um silence you as you get ready to say something and or take credit for something she knows you've already done and so when corporate claims that they don't understand or they don't see it it is important that they understand that the egregiousness of having a cart shoved in front of you is not dissimilar than being talked over the top of or silenced when you or when you say something, uh, negate what you say. We're, we are often not heard. We are often, um, it, just the only black, brown, gray or beige, whatever person in the room and they want to act as if they recognize us, but their dominant behavior is to dismiss us. And so that, that to me is, you know, yes, the term is microaggressions. Is corporate dealing with those people? Do you have a sense of that? Like, no. Are- yeah. So I, what I find is interesting is, and, and, you know, one of the things, and I talked about it this morning, um, a little bit. One of the things I think is super key is accountability, right? And how people who may think of themselves as powerless, right? Because they don't have a big title or a big, you know, seven figure, you know, um, income or whatever think, Oh, I don't really have power or whatever. But the thing to your point is, right? We know that corporate America, um, the media, politicians, we know everyone knows, right? Mm-hmm. We know that the facts have been um, irrefutable and undisputed for decades, right? Because they've been doing research on it. And every year, right, uh, September and October, it's a bunch of surveys and, and things that come out, right? A bunch come out again in the spring, right? That point to the same data, right? That these things are happening, 
the this is the impact right that this has on not only black and brown people and women but on the industry i read an article i printed it out uh haha i printed it out um from uh last week racial from reuters okay racial inequities cost the u.s economy trillions we know exactly so that's my point they have known this for 20 plus years let's let's break reuters down further and let's talk about forbes and let's talk about mckinsey these are all the consultants heavily white boy led Mm -hmm. heavily white people let me just say me being a head of hr you know how many invoices i signed from these folks and they're all white and they all now they got paid they still continue to rake in millions of Mm -hmm. dollars Mm -hmm. on the pain and the realities of that article and, and more exactly. I have not said. And then you and I are out here now on our own, running businesses, trying to make money, losing business to white folks in racial equity spaces because the corporations only want to recognize gender so that they can see, continue to keep the white women at the top. Yep. So. These folks who are writing these articles, it's you know, the burr under my saddle. I, there's two things in my book I call out. One is Robin D'Angelo for, you know, look, I just read this week. I'm not trying to hate on folks for making money, but if she's at a million and a half a year, you and I should be at least double that right now for what our knowledge base is. Absolutely. And, and, and so when you see that happening, corporate America should pause before they sign contracts with these white folks. Corporate America should pause before they publish articles on Reuters and say, who are, let me bring, let's talk, like start engaging the right people right. in this dialogue instead of make, continuing to perpetuate white wealth and diminishing generational wealth for brown and black people. So is Reuters serious? There, no. Stopped all the subscriptions. I'm not subscribing to all these. They're making their money telling my freaking story and won't pay me. That's so, exactly right. And and I, so right. And and my point, and that's and, and that adds to the point so much, right? Because it's like, here we go again. Here's another article. So it's not like they don't know, right? So it's not like, you know, if a, a black woman or a brown woman, you know, or you know, a, a queer person of color or whatever speaks up and says whatever, and it really doesn't matter, Cindy, the forum or the industry or the role or or how it's done, right? What it's about is I, and, I, and I was thinking about this today because one of the things I'm I'm doing with the um, interracial sisterhood coalition for myself is I'm really trying to get deeper into understanding white people from a psychological standpoint, right? Because I've been in predominantly white spaces only for thirty two-ish years, right? So not like my whole life, right? Like my daughter has, right? Because my first twenty-two years. I was around my family. My family is 95% black, right? So I was all basically around my family, even though I went to college and predominantly, you know, white university and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm, I'm very now interested in trying to understand the psyche and understanding the cognitive, cognitive, cognitive dissonance that what, allows what, what you. Learning can you share, Vonda? What I, learnings? I don't even know if it's a learning. This is what I'll call my philosophy, right? This is the Vonda philosophy. Something is making me believe that as a um a white man, that there is such a level of an inferiority complex coupled with a self-hatred because of the atrocities that your ancestors committed. And the way all of that plays out in your body and your DNA. I now, I, and I'm, you know, I love, um, I'm gonna use this term very affectionately, like woo woo people, healing people, acupuncturists, um, healers, shaman. I love people like that. Literally sign me up. I go on retreats and all that. And so one of the things that I've, I've learned over, I would say the last four years, six years that I've been, you know, more intuitive and paying attention to stuff is how we carry stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not really until we can accept the fact that we carry stuff 
that we can start to like let it go. So for me personally, right, and I've shared with different people, I was abused as a child. Um, and it's interesting because my household, if you would have looked on the outside, you would have thought everything was fine. And maybe half of all abusive households look fine on the outside. I don't really know, right? Because all you know is what you see, right? And if you're not in a house with a, a child or a wife or a person, you don't know. So I always think of it as, you know, I am, um, uh, because of my background, I'm, I, I stay kind of like in this perpetual learning and interest and trying to figure people out and trying to discover. And, and something is really, um, making me think when I went through my, you know, like, uh, different healing practices and stuff, right. And the different healers were talking about how you carry that in your body. So not only do you carry stuff that happened to you, right? Like a person who has had abuse and trauma, but things you do. So if you commit atrocities, right? Genocide, rape, you know, enslavement, whatever. It's no way that you're going to be able to just live your whole life and just be like fine. Right. Without reckoning to your point. Right. Reckoning with some of that in some kind of way, even if it's just, you know, um, maybe me personally. Right. I wasn't involved. Right. If I'm a white person and I feel I'm feeling those issues. Do you think I'm in I'm in radio host mode right now too, listening to you. Do you think that they um, actually have a conscience? About no, that? no. And I think. And I think they don't. And I think the reason is because I think if there's some sort of blockage between like, you know, all of the things that are, are part of who we become, right? Our DNA, our lived experiences, experiences of people, right? Who raise us, the church we grew up in, the school, all of that stuff. But I think that there's so much inferiority and so much other stuff but it's so, unrecognized i don't think they recognize but, it because because I, go ahead i don't i don't know i mean i'm not disagreeing i don't know that but there's so much um the um relationship that white people have with money is so um it's so dominant and destructive that yeah. i almost think that they don't they don't understand the, the behaviors that have been bred into them to kill at all costs, to destroy other people's lives. The, the growing number of people, um, and in corporate America, because the, the, the double-edged sword that the C-suite has, we just focus on them for a minute, is because they have to, um, they have to please shareholders. That's and right. so shareholder profitability means that for them to continue to keep, here comes my HR stuff, for them to continue to keep profitability high, their highest cost, their highest line item where overhead is spent is on people. That's and right. so the very first people every year at the end of the year, my book talks some about this, every year at the end of the year, as an HR person, I took the organization through calibration processes. Those processes remove the bottom 10%-ish of people to protect that kind of um, overhead money. And the people who typically fall into that pool are the brown and black people. And so they aren't conscious, um, or let me say that different. They are conscious of what they're doing, mm -hmm. but they can't care because yes. their, their bonuses are tied to that profitability line and what the return, their EBITDA and all the formula that they use to calculate bonus yes. tools. I have not seen ever a white person give up money for other people. Brown and black people are not um, worshiping money that way and are out serving communities. So our psyche around money is different mm -hmm. than their breeding about money at all costs. Yeah. So... Yeah. No, so I mean, I, that makes sense. That that makes sense. I mean, on so many levels. Right. Um, so first, from the standpoint of uh, that, that that corrupt version of capitalism. Right. That's that's part of the DNA and the fabric of white supremacy anyway. Right. right. Because we used to be property. Right. And so right. in a lot of people's minds, I'll never forget. This was years ago. This was maybe 
2014 or 2015 and Angela Rye, who I think she has her own show now on CNN, but she used to be a commentator and all that. Um, like I, and I remember when I used to watch CNN cause I don't watch it now, but when I used to watch it, I'll never forget this one time when she said, they've been calling us lazy ever since we stopped working for free. And when she exactly. said that, and when she said that, I'll never forget that. And I think she said it in 2015, but when she said that, that flipped the switch, right? So to your point, um, Cynthia, that, um, Cynthia, that's in the call with us, right? Um, they're not going to change, but the thing yeah. is, right? We have to not only hold people accountable, but at the same time, you know how, like, I know my grandmother used to be like, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? So not only do we have to be trying to hold people accountable, right? But at the same time, we individually, if we have, you know, positions in power, if we have influence, if we have talk shows, radio shows, blogs, we can use whatever, right? We need to drive um, you know, action, right, from, from our standpoint, because literally nobody's coming to save us, right? The, the white lady, that's the VP of HR is not coming to save us, right? The new person that gets hired as the head of diversity inclusion, they not going to save us, right? We have to, um, hold power to account. We own, we know, and you talk about the fact that the political system and, and laws and government, right, are the, really the only things that can rein business in, but that's how it's always been. Right. So we as a as a populace, we have to be informed. However, one I'm going to I don't disagree with Cynthia. I don't disagree with her statement, but I will say this. Because the 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 census data, um, who, who, in my opinion, doesn't have um, I, I know most brown and black people don't like to participate in census stuff because we get targeted. But the people who did participate. The browning of America is here. And so there are, I don't yep. know what the percentage is. There is a percentage of white people that are now, I don't know if it's genuine or not. So to Cynthia's point, when she says they aren't invested in our well-being, but there are those people who are um, awakening that they have to start to help and invest in the well-being of brown and black people because their daughters are marrying black men and having black grandbabies now, or they're, um, you know, there is a um, melting of race that continues to happen. And there comes a point where you can't any longer escape the um, race issue and its impact inside of corporate, inside of politics. Um, you can't ignore it. And it, the trend is moving up the trend in politics, even from, um, here. Um, watching how many black women got into office this last election cycle. I'm on a board that propels black women into elected office. Like we just have to continue to push and help systems that put, because once we have enough power to turn the ship, mm -hmm. then we got to dig into the colorism thing, which is what you and I started on last week. Because mm -hmm. once the black people start to obtain power, are we actually going to help our other sisters and brothers attain it too yeah so because we're gonna cut if we're not if we don't get aligned in this and start moving this ship for the next generations and tackling these type of issues to help propel um the brown and black race or um you know we're in trouble if we don't start to shift this so agree agree so let's take it into the you know into the um back into the the, the boardroom back into the company right so i mm -hmm. think um you know, we all have, well, at least probably I would say people, anybody over 35 who's worked in corporate America, right, has has familiarity with, you know, the, the structures um, and, and depending on how large the corporation is, right, you may have one brown or black person, one brown or black woman or man, um, you know, uh, that gets to a, a certain level. But when they get to those levels, um, you know, what happens, right? Because there's all these, once again, studies and surveys, right? That they all do lean in McKinsey, all of them, right? That says, you know, at this level, you know, it, it, it's all kind of even half men, half women, you know, everything kind of looks like sort of like the population, depending on the type of organization. Then as you go up the ladder, right, the number of women leaders um, and definitely black and, black and brown uh, gets uh, shorter and shorter, right? Even if we take the example of the Fortune 500 
CEOs, there's 500, there's only two black women. If it was population based, there would be 30 of us, right? Sitting in those seats, right? If it was 6% of us, it would be 30 of us there. So we know, right, that that's, that's not how it works. So what, I mean, describe, you know, for, for people watching, you know, what does that system look like? How does that happen that, you know, um, you know, Lisa comes in an organization with the same, you know, great degree, you know, saying Carrie Washington, you know, credentials and attitude kicking it. Right. And she goes up and goes up and goes up. How come nobody else ever goes up? And you may be like only one Lisa, you know, and, and one, you know, Jerome I, up there. I can give some perspective. I would that. love it. Um, Cause this is, um, so in the, let's see, 1994 to 2004, so for 10 years, I worked um, for a forest products, a very large global company at the time. And my senior vice president was a black man, uh, the only black man that was in the C-suite. And so that was how many years ago? 17 years ago now, right? So that many years ago, I would be having these kind of conversations with him about our organization because we had very few um Black people or, you know, people of color moving up. And on the surface, um, he was a champion for it and was very happy to have somebody fire elect me running the people part of his organization. However, he, you know, at the time I was very critical of him because we, I just thought he should be doing more for, um, we had a lot. This was actually a government affairs organization and we had, um, attempted, we had actually promoted a black man to run the Washington DC office. And as soon as we put that black man in charge, all the normal tearing down started to happen. And what was happening with him is the black man wasn't stepping up the way we needed him to. So I became his like one-on-one -on -one coach to try to help him be successful and navigate all the white tearing down of mm -hmm. what was going on. And so what began to happen in that organization, again, 17 years ago, is you have one or two, you know, or made the HR person, three black people in an organization of, you know, a thousand people, the ability to affect and move it is very paralyzing. And so um, in hindsight now, at the time I was like in that CEO or that vice president's face saying, oh, but he, you know, he kept saying, you know, he gave me this advice. I'll never forget it because I actually use it now and he said cindy he goes i'm going to give you three silver bullets a year and he said those silver bullets stand for an issue a person or a cause that you need me to fight for an issue said, a, person a person or a or cause okay and he said choose wisely and what and that hit me so hard because what he was saying to me is that I can't do it all as the only black person at the top. And so he said, I'm willing to go fight things you believe I need to take on, but I can't take them all on. That was 17 years ago. Here we yeah. are now. Here we are now, 17 years later. And the C-suite is still not populated. And the black people, I will say in Seattle, there is a black woman CEO. I'm going to give her a shout out. Her name is Tanita Webb. She's the CEO of Verity Credit Union. Tanita is reaching out into the community to us black people and bringing us in to help. She's moving the community at the same time as her. So you get black women in charge and they understand the dynamics mm -hmm. of what we got to do, mm -hmm. you know, to her, to her credit, she's doing it. Yep. You know, in, in, let me, let me take another two minutes here to explain another thing about succession planning. Because I sat in a ton, and I'll tell you a story about one. This one is when I was at Safeco Insurance. I was a um, assistant vice president of HR mm -hmm. at Safeco. At the time, we had a, a woman CEO. Uh, she's a white woman, and she. We were doing succession planning, which is a process we went through every year to look at our talent in our organizations. And so, um, I supported product and sales at that time. So I had I was on the P and L side of the business, which which meant that they mentioned to things that I was saying. Mm -hmm. So we were doing this whole succession thing. She was looking for candidates and we went around the table and talked about each business line and who the people were. Hands down, all the strong women were being torn down by the white guys. Hands down, because uh, they're threatened by strong women. 
But then when I started bringing up, and I'll never forget, I brought up this one woman um, who wasn't under in my organization, but she worked in the law department. And so I brought her name up and I asked my counterpart who supported law, what do you think about her? Why is she not on the list? And the CEO looked over at me and said, who is she, Cindy? And I said, she's a Harvard law graduate. She has da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so the CEO says, how do you know her? And I said, because there's five black people in the company. We all know each other. So it's my responsibility to know who the black people are because I'm an HR person here. After that, she, the CEO immediately jumped on going to try to help this black woman. But because the white people, including my boss, the head of HR, he felt embarrassed instead of happy that I was helping move this along. So after the meeting, I get called into his office and he literally said, who in the hell do you think you are? Do you think you're in charge of diversity at this company? And I said to him, no, you are. And so from that moment on, my performance reviews started to go down because he wasn't doing his job. The CEO saw that I did. And from that point on, so this is what goes on. And I don't care what company I've been in. It's the same story. Every time you speak up and try to move and help another woman or a brown or black person, the person who speaks up, is torn down. So let me ask this question. Why do you think the companies who are, you know, who have like programs and, you know, you know, uh, chief diversity officers and companies like that, right? The companies that have those roles and those structures that are, um, you know, supposed to address uh, you know, inclusion, diversity, whatever. Why do you suppose those companies talk about those things and make them seem like, you know, hey, this is really important to us. But to your point, right, in different companies across different industries, you know, it's very, very rare, right, that the leadership um, is aligned to putting any actions behind any First of that. Point. First off, that one thing I'll say to you and to everybody listening to this, the very first thing you need to look at when you see a chief diversity officer job is where that report, do they report that role, who do they report to? Because if they are not reporting to the CEO, then it's not a real job. It's not a real, it's not, it's, it's a, it's performative, right? Because the COO, which is where they tend to punt it into operations is all about making it um, the optics of it so that it appears like they're actually doing something about it. So that's issue number one. And I can't, tell, and, and issue number two is it becomes the fall person. That role is always the fall person because that person can absolutely not move a mountain like that without resources. Those jobs are always under resource. They never have staff. They have very little budget. Even to this day, when people call me to come in and speak, and my first question is, do you have budget to pay me? They squander because they're still not resourcing these diversity people to pay for help. So it's performative at best in many companies. Um, people, look at the tenure. We got to find a study on the tenure of a chief diversity officer. I my think, I, is, I, wasn't it like 19 to 27 months or something. I, I was going to say, I call it at two years. Yeah, it's, it's it's the average. I don't remember the exact number, but I, I think the last study I saw, maybe it was July or June, but it was like 17 to uh 27 months or something like that. But like on the outset, like at the, the, the high end of the people was 30 months. But that's only two and a half years. Correct. And and many of the chief diversity officers report into the head of HR. Of HR. Mm -hmm. Head of HR is an HR is a nightmare. Wait till you read my my book to your audience about HR. I'm calling for the dis, dis, dismantling of it. If it reports into HR, it is doomed to fail. Abolish HR. It, <laughs> abolish HR. Like it's it will not it will not outlive the power hungry white women that are in charge of HR and the white guys that they make in charge of HR will do everything to keep his bonus intact. But then right after bonus payouts happen, I would put money on it 
hands down I've seen in March and April is when many of the chief diversity officer jobs go. Because once those guys get their cash, they, they out these folks out. And so then they start all over again. And then they say, oh, well, this person didn't, you know, they didn't do, they didn't do this. They, you know, no, the issue is a chief diversity officer should have as much power as, as the, the CFO and the COO, absolutely exactly. around people agree a hundred percent. And, and, and to me, right. That people officer should be the chief diversity officer, right? Because yeah. people that's people come in all shades, sizes, yeah. ages, colors, yeah. heights, weights, whatever. So that, yeah. so I, I, that's like, and, and so what'll be interesting um, to see is, if, you know, there starts to be any um, momentum or push, right, from, I don't know where it would come from, internally or whatever, but, or, or some shift, you know, for somebody to say, hey, for those companies that are really serious about it, this is what it, what it really should be, you know, so they need somebody like Reuters to tell them that, I guess, right, or whoever they're going to listen to, you know, but, um, you know, so- they can call her in, pay her $15,000 for an hour and a half to go tell her the same things my experience would tell them. Uh, they just don't want to hear it or pay for it from us. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not supposed to have anything, right? Um, they you don't know, see us as leaders, they don't see us as effective. They don't see us as worthy of that kind of earning power. It is so crazy how they've been conditioned to believe that we are the help. And the people who are less educated, less smart, less work ethic, less ability to understand different people, they find those folks more adequate to hire because it's safe, because they're not going to challenge them. And how often do you see white women stand up to the patriarchy? Never. I never seen it. I mean, you've seen a few drips and drabs, you know, um, our last presidential, uh, you know, candidate. She tried, but we knew that wasn't going to work because they've been hating her for 40 something years. That's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, um, you know, to Erica's point, right, that people we have to create our own and and that is happening right because all kinds of people are leaving the workforce right all kinds of black and brown women um are starting their own you know companies right i started my own company last year you started yours other people are starting theirs because we know um that we can only we can affect change in our spaces right um where where we are um and we can drive change uh, you know, from, from our own way. Right. And so when you build and create something, uh, yourself, that's when you have the agency and the ownership, um, and the responsibility such that you can take it in whatever direction, you know, that, that you want to. So, um, I think, um, we can be the change and that's, that's what I agree to a hundred percent, you know, and I think about at every juncture of, of life, right we always are going to be confronted with these different challenges. And at each one of those junctures, at every challenge, right, um, there's going to be a choice that needs to be made, right? And so that choice- And when we do this, Vonda, and when we do this, which is what we're all doing, the immediate issue that we have to tackle is what you and I started to talk about, which is the colorism. Yep. Because yep. The, we're so used to having scraps that we fight each other for scraps. Yep. And so how do we propel our sister along, even if we have to take a step back to allow her to go? Because if we have the right attitude about um, our own, then we will recognize that sometimes it means I'm not the best person to do A, B, or C. Vonda is, or Cindy is. Let's get her involved in this. And then when we are receiving that, then it's our responsibility to bring her to the next level too. And so if we learn to operate the way the whites do, because the whites all take care of themselves. They do. We in the black community have to work more collaboratively and together and look out for each other's businesses, for each other's work. We have to stop being threatened by two light-skinned women or whatever we have got to get past all of this yeah and i don't know you know i am actually doing a colorism show on october 13th I've i'm gonna be tuned in wait wait till you hear these women 
coming on with me. I mean, they, they're all um, self-employed CEOs of their businesses and they are calling out, stop, we've got to stop doing this to each other. We're mm-hmm. all trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And so when we sabotage her name behind the scenes mm-hmm. to somebody else, right? Like that's the stuff we got to stop. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's so funny, right? When you're talking about like black people, right? And how we treat each other. I had this week, I, I told I told Karen, our friend Karen Fleshman, I literally had four American men uh, either bully or in some way uh, like be overly aggressive, harassing or whatever to me. All Cindy in business cases where mm. I'm the client, where I'm the one paying. Oh my God. So I'm, I'm going to, I got to read you this. So for one okay. of the, these people that I'm paying to do something, um, they haven't been able to do the work and I've been requesting to meet with their head, right? They're founded a person who owns a company for months. They always send me to an under, uh, a, a subordinate and the subordinate can never answer my questions. So I say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. I need to do this. And I need to understand. They say, I got to go check with the boss about that. And then I say, well, have him come to the meeting, right? This has been going on since May. Okay. I did my Ted talk. Uh, change doesn't have to suck everyone. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, in, in, uh, on May 1st is when it went live. It didn't get put up on my website until two weeks ago. And all the other things that I have done, right, um, from then on, nothing got updated on the website or whatever. So long story short, I had been requesting to meet with the owner. Hey, I need to meet you. I want to talk blah, 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 blah. And then I requested a list, uh, a summary of everything I paid for, blah, 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 right? There's all this, well, you've got to set up a meeting. We got to set up a meeting. You can meet with this person, da, 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 da. So I was like, no, 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 no. So finally, I gave it a break. So on Tuesday, I, I said, let me just stop all the emails, right? And I waited a week and a half. So Tuesday, I said, hey, person, I'm hoping the break from email has given you the opportunity to unearth the details of what services your firm provided and what I pay for thus far, as I've requested numerous times. Please send me the summary of the work that was done by Friday, blah, blah. And then I said, I will follow up in five days. The response is this. Vonda. I called and left you a voicemail last weekend on Saturday, 9-4. This person called me 10 minutes before you and I went on the air, by the way. Um, so, of course, I wasn't answering the phone. I have sent an email, multiple emails. Then here's the ki- the first line. Don't act like you haven't heard from us. We have tried to set a meeting to go over this, and you decline and only want to speak with me. That's correct. As I have stated, I don't know where all this is coming from and have been nothing but responsive. And my team has been willing to communicate. Now, if I've been requesting to meet with him for four months. Right. And he hasn't. Then how is he saying? "Uh, Yeah, I only want to speak with you. But but it gets worse. But let me finish the rest real quick because it gets way worse than that. Then it says um, uh, we already had the timeline summary done. And wanted to review with you with this person, but you declined the meeting. Right. Because I only want the meeting with you. I don't want these people in there. Then he says, uh, call me or set up a meeting to talk. Then we will set up a separate meeting to review the timeline and summary. We need to sync up on why all this is happening and why we are getting treated like this. We have been nothing but kind understanding. I still don't know why. This behavior from you has come out of nowhere. And this is a person that I have paid more than $11,000 to do work for me. And it's a black man. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it's a young black man. So to your point about, you know, trying to support each other, right, and do business, da-da-da-da. And I kept on being like, hey, hey, this isn't happening, blah, blah, blah. And but this is the response. Call me to talk. So you're telling me that for you to give me a summary of what I've paid for, I have to call you to talk. 
Then I had another person who was trying to contact me. And use the terminology. Don't act like blah, 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 blah. Right. 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 Don't act like you haven't heard from us. And then this behavior, what behavior? I declined a meeting and I didn't pick up when you called me on the phone. What behavior is that? Because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do and you refuse to meet with me. So I'm moving on. Right. Which is obvious. But literally the response could have been, uh, hey, I'm sorry, we haven't had a chance to connect. Um, I know we have some discrepancies happening. Um, what time can I call you? Exactly. Then I had so another I- person reach out to me on LinkedIn a couple times and then they got my phone number and they sh- they set up a meeting. I've had multiple things happen to me right over the last month, couple months, stuff with my daughter, my dog, different things. Boom, boom, boom. This is a salesperson. They, they said, I hope you got the link, um, blah, 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 for the meeting at 11. Right. And this was at like eight o'clock in the morning. I said, actually, I didn't get the link, but I do not have time right now. As I told you before, you know, uh, October would be better. Right. His response was, well, if you're not serious about your business, then I won't waste any more time of my time. First of all, who told you to text me? Secondly, if I told you before, right. Then then why? Like, is this really the way you think you're going to get business? You're just going to keep pressuring me. Then I had a person call me on the phone. Right. Which is fine. Hi, this is Vonda. How can I help you? Right. And um, I thought it was like an emergency or something. It was some sales call. I said, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm in the middle of something. And I can't talk right now. How about you send me an email and I will um, you know, call you back or I'll get back with you or whatever. Well, no, no, no. I just need to ask you one question. I, I'm such and such from this company. I said, I can't talk right now. Send me an email. No, 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 no. I just need to ask you. I said, what part don't you understand? Well, I'm just trying to help you with your business. And I said, I can't talk right now. And then I was like saying to myself, why am I arguing? Then I had another situation. So I'm just telling you, like, so, so, so this is like stuff that happens. Would a would any of them have talked to a white dude like that? Somebody that they trying to do business with? My comment is, I don't know if you've noticed it. Um, people have gotten very aggressive on LinkedIn also like that with us. Uh-huh. Um, because, uh-huh. well, uh, our work, our niche, our demand, our knowledge is a commodity. Um, we are in a high demand um, time right now. And um, people are not wanting to um, spend money People are trying to make money off of what we bring to the um, market. And so the aggressiveness, I mean, I've just stopped replying to people. Like I can look at their invites now. They just simply want to get me on the phone and then they want to pick my brain, uh, which is their translation of free consulting work to help their businesses, all of that stuff. So it's a little different than what you're saying, but the, the net of it is that the aggressiveness over uh, dealing with women like us has just been um, kind of off the charts. I mean, I've kind of stopped responding to a lot of this stuff too, because I just don't have the ability to do it. And and the people that when I do push back and say, um, I have a fee for, I, you know, I'm willing to hop on with you for an hour, but I have a fee to pay for my time, they disappear. So it's just, we're just at that point, I think, Wanda, that um, navigating how we become successful in this time where there's so much disconnect and disrespect for who we are as black women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of unbelievable right now. And I don't even know what to say about that coming from a brother, right? Like if anybody should have any respect for what black women go through, it should be black men. They should understand we're out in these streets fighting for them too. And if, and if a person pays for services, right. And says, Hey, can I get it out of my summary? And it's this year. It's not like I'm asking for, you know, I remember when I moved to Oregon, right. And I had to get uh, some dental work and my dentist needed me, the dentist in Oregon needed me to get the records from Delaware. And he said, well, how old is that thing you had? And I was like, I don't know. Right. So it's not like I'm asking for records from 10 years ago. Hey, do you got that old x-ray from that implant from, you know, <laughs> 2004. Right. I'm asking for a summary of the money I've paid you and it's over $10,000. Why can't you tell me how, why can't you give me that? And why do I have to have a conversation? So the fact that you won't acknowledge, right, that you know you're wrong. You know you're wrong for never responding. You know you're wrong for never doing the work that you 
you set out to do. You know, you're wrong for a whole bunch of things, which I had then, you know, I had put a whole list together and I was willing to have the meeting to say these are all the ways that things aren't happening. But I wasn't going to have the meeting with the person's team because it's not their fault. Right. Because when a company doesn't produce, it's the leader's fault. Right. When a team doesn't produce, it's the leader's fault. It's not the individual people doing the work. And so that was a whole nother part of it was that's why I didn't want to keep having these conversations because none of the people on the team, right, could speak for the boss or could answer for the boss, right? Um, so one of the strategies I'm using, Cindy, to not have to deal with that again is my um, uh, executive assistants, um, my VAs, they're going to be handling all the correspondences and only the serious ones are going to come to me, right? And And because we don't have time for that. And to your point, you would think Right. Especially a black person um, would be, you know, more professional and just basically respectful. But, you know, it's helped me. Right. Because for me, I'm like I, I take everything and I learn. Right. So like Nelson Mandela said, if I don't win, I learn. So I learn. Right. And um, I'll get to deduct that there's a business expense that didn't turn into nothing. Right. Whatever. Um, but. What is important to kind of circle back to all of it, right, is that people like you and me, right, we come together and we support each other, right? And we um, help uh, other women, right, and other people who are definitely on the same tip, right, that's on the same train, that's going in the same direction, that's in this coalition of co-conspirators to make things better, right, to not keep on sitting around and complaining about it, right? So, and 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 whether we stay in corporate, you know, settings, um, and 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 you know, do things on the side in our in our lives, whether it's career or volunteerism or whatever it is, right? We still need to take those steps, right, and make those actions. But it's really, I think, coming together, right, and 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 networking with people that are trying to do something that you believe in and you support, right? So, I, as much as I love politics. Because of my demeanor and the way I am, I have stayed away from like getting in it and talking about it because I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, ready to be not uh, kind and and gentle. Right. And how I talk about it. So I've always stayed away from it. So I would say, though, Vonda, that that's changing that, you know, people like AOC and, uh, you know, those we need more outspoken uh, women in politics. Oh, I know, but y'all got them. I'm supporting you. I don't want to get into politics. I am a technologist. I am a CIO. I am a CEO. And that's my thing. So I am building platforms to change how um, digital equity is applied, how accessibility, you know, works um, and to really help, you know, leaders understand how to drive and lead change. But I support you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a person, I put my, my action, you know how they say my time and my talents, right. Towards it, my action, um, my money towards supporting. So I want, you know, you to kind of, you know, close us out with just, you know, when you think about, um, just the challenges, right. That we have not only just as black women, but, you know, as a, as a society in general, especially right now, right. What are some things that, that you can, recommend kind of to close us out. And then I want you to tell everybody how to get in touch with you, you know, how to um, find you on social media. Oh, and how to find your, your radio program also. Yeah. Um, I would say a couple things, you know, in terms of what we can do together. And I, I just think the net net of it is that we have to support each other. There's just, and we all have our own lanes that we're in, that we're doing. And so we need to know who each other are. And um, my book has suggestions for how white people can actually help, which are, are to ask some questions. We can ask each the same type of questions. How can I amplify you? What can I do to, how do I remove that barrier for you? Like, what do you need me to do? How, those sorts of things, I think is what every woman, every black woman should be doing for each other right now. I appreciate my, let me just, I'm putting my, um, my website in the chat. I'm at cindybright.com. On the on my website, um, you'll see the very first thing will pop up about my book. You can click in there. My book is on Amazon. It's called The Color of Courage. And it came pretty fast. I got it in July after we had first met. It came pretty fast. I was surprised. Um, but yeah, my book, my copy is all beat up. And I just want to make sure that we still agree that you'll give me a fresh copy signed. I mean, I'll pay for I it, have, but I want I a, have, a fresh I have one. Hard, yeah. 
I do. I have hard copies for all my people. Hard hardcover books. I'm a hardcover addict. Yes, me too. And you can order the book anywhere online books are sold. So you can go on to, in fact, I encourage people, you know, I'm not making a lot of money off of the profit on an Amazon book. You know, they're taking most of the profit. Yep. You can order the books at Barnes and Nobles and those sales from there actually count towards New York bestseller list. So I love um, if people wanted to buy in bulk, have your companies buy the book, wait till you read it. It's helpful. It's not a book about uh, it's not written through an academic's lens on um, or or a scholar. It's written through a live story, and it's got a lot of HR intel in there. My radio show is on Wednesday nights um, at 7 p.m. I host it on Rainier Avenue Radio that world. It's live on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch um, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I'd love for you to tune in. I am doing a colorism show on October the 13th, so mark your calendar for that one. That one will be a hot one. So Vonda, thank right. you for having me back on today. I know we're at the hour here. So I yeah. appreciate you come back on. Oh, absolutely. No, this was great. Um, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm already signed up. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be tuning in. Um, I just want to thank you again for, you know, sharing your time, sharing your story, you know, having such a great conversation. I feel like me, you could talk all day. Literally, <laughs> we could talk all day about yeah. so many things. So this is awesome. I look forward to seeing you soon. Um, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Um, this is the last titled um, uh, Radical Change Special Edition, the new group chat, because I am um, coming uh, with some different shows. They're going to have different titles, but I will see you every Saturday here on Living Corporate. So take care and thanks again, Cindy.